Girls in a fruit fight Every color of day Twirling around at night I'm playing this music So the young girl will come out To meet the monster tonight Ah, uh, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, on this Saturday morning, February 4th, 2012. If you haven't looked out your window here in Greeley, Colorado, I'll tell you right now, it's still flurrying, but it's a little better. It's a little too warm now, probably, I don't know, maybe 35 degrees so that, um, you know, we're not going to get piles and tons of snow like I guess they did in Denver. But, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we got it. You knew it was going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll tell you how. It was because three days ago, <clears throat> the Greeley Tribune, which is our newspaper here, um, put a, a story on its front page that said, where's all the snow? <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where did the snow go? And, and I don't know why they felt this merited a front page story. I don't know what they were possibly thinking. Obviously, the people at the Greeley Tribune are not Jewish. And I say this um, as a Jew, and not, not to be either anti-Semitic or, or anti-Christian, but just to say that any Jew would know that you don't give something called the Kanaingahara, where you don't give... Uh, you, you don't start wondering out loud over your good luck and your good fortune. Because the second you start to do that, the second you start to give a kanayana hara, it means that something bad is going to happen, the absolute reverse. Uh, it actually means the evil eye in a sort of a way. So if you say, oh, <clears throat> wow, you know, I, I've gone two months without any back pain. You are just asking God <laughs> to send zit, you know, a little sciatica into your lower muscular region. It's, it's just tempting fate. It's tempting God, whatever you believe. And so when the Greeley Tribune put on its front cover, hey, you know, the, the low, in the lower right-hand corner too, the, what do they call in the New York Times, the bottom quarter fold on the right, and said, where's the snow? There's no snow. What kind of weird winter is this that we've gone weeks without any snow? You absolutely knew at that moment. Actually, weathermen did know that we had a storm coming, that it was coming up through lower Colorado, going to sweep through. Didn't know how much northern was going to get. It could either be two, three inches or up to a foot. And I think when all is said and done, we'll get at least eight total, although it'll be over the course of a day or so. But, um, you know, and just, uh, just what was in their heads, to t- both to tempt fate like that, and also to forget so quickly that October and November were pretty rough here this year. Last two years we got lucky, and, I, and I've been saying that for oh, almost every time I'm on the air here. Last two years in Greeley we had one or two bad snowstorms, but the rest of the winter we, got, we really lucked out compared to where I come from, which is New York. And... I know, I know I've said this story a dozen times, but when my wife and I left New York for northern Colorado two and a half years ago, all our family and our friends, they would 
shake their heads and say, oh, I hope you brought your parkas, I hope you brought your high snow boots and your snow gear and your chains, because, hey, Colorado, snow country, and we had to kind of tell them, even though they wouldn't believe it, that, no, we're not in Vail. We're not standing on top of a mountain. We're in sort of a basin here in northern Colorado. So we will get snow, but not as much as you think. And it was just this wonderful told-you-so moment. Had a few of them the last couple of years. When we would get you know, the occasional snowstorm, and New York would be just inundated, just plummeted. With that's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Just tons of snow and ice and miserable storms and near hurricane. It's just like we got out of New York just in time for for a lot of different reasons. But um, but just to to be able to look back and call on a winter's day in Colorado, and it would be like 63 degrees. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, sun pouring down, couldn't even wear your jacket, had to take your hat off or you'd be sweating. And you'd call back home and you'd say, well, well uh, you know, how, how is it over there? And I'd say, well, we were five more inches of snow. Uh, <laughs> it's 22 degrees and it's just going to freeze over. Uh, just, just a little bit of that, that schadenfreude that keeps us all going, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, okay, so the Greeley Tribune tempted fate. And we got our pileage somewhat of snow up here in Greeley, Colorado. Are you happy, Greeley Tribune? You know, and, 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 all right, maybe it'll be good for the plants. So it'll cover up the ground a little bit, give it some moisture, and then we'll have better crops when the farmer's markets open up in May. Got to look on the bright side of these things. We did get pileage back in October and November, just before Halloween we had a biggie. And, and then one or two later. So I thought we, we did well, <laughs> comparatively, with um, where people who like snow, we, we, we gave them their due. It was early in the season, I admit, and that first snowstorm was a doozy. Who can forget it? It was so early in the season that the trees were still full of leaves, and it caused tons of blackouts and trees down and power out. I mean, just misery. Now we get a ton of snow, barely does anything. Thank goodness. So, I don't know. I, I just, people are never satisfied. I, I, we have a, a friend who works where my wife works at UNC. And he was complaining also weeks ago, because not just Greeley and Loveland in this area, but he goes to ski. He's big on it. And he was going to spend his winter break in between classes going to the ski places. And he said there was nothing. They were manufacturing the powdered snow and the snow that was down there wasn't good. I've never skied. I don't really have an intention of trying. Maybe one time if I can go in a, some sort of brace so that either I won't break anything on my body or if I do, I'll already be in a brace so it'll start to set the minute I have the accident. But this guy, you know, he's a skier. He's an athletic kind of dude. He wants to do that. And he's just saying, oh, there's no snow anywhere. You go to the mountains and there's no powder and I'm stuck here. And really, oh, well. Oh, well, you got your snow. Parts of Colorado got 40 to 48 inches, I saw on the news um, this morning. So if you're looking to ski, go find it. It's out there. Hooray. And if you're looking to drive, however, I will warn you. Uh, you know, I got a Subaru. And one of the reasons we got the Subaru is we're living in Colorado, and we wanted all-wheel drive. And let me tell you, you go down some of these side streets, even right near the school, 
And you better be going 15, 20 miles an hour because every time you turn, you will do a little fishtail. You can skid a little bit. It's evil. Now, now that the sun's out and, and it's, I guess, going to go maybe into the very low to mid-30s, as I said, it's probably 34, 35 now, you'll get some melting. The streets will be a little better. But, Lordy, as soon as that sun goes down, 6, 6.30 tonight, do be careful on the side streets that aren't properly paved because even in my Subaru, with its wonderful four-wheel, four-wheel drive trying to correct everything, it is not fun. It's like, whoa, I've got to turn into this, and I've got to turn into that, and you know, get my hand, embrace myself a little bit. And I'm going you know, 20 miles an hour on these little streets. So I can't even imagine what a smaller car or, or car with two-wheel drive or just something that isn't an all-terrain thing is going to have to endure. If you've got a, a bug or some small Toyota or something like that, do be careful. I mean, even now and certainly later on tonight. Anyway, huh, welcome. (laughs) That was my opening. That was my cold opening in honor of the cold weather here for Dave's Gone By. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. I've been doing this program since October 2002. I started it on a small radio station on Long Island, was there for seven and a half years. Then my wife got the job out here. We moved to lovely Colorado, and I brought the show to the University of Northern Colorado's radio station, uncradio.com, and very proud and happy to be here, as, as, um, you know, as I guess I say all the time here. You can find out more about the show at davesgoneby.com, and it's Dave like my name, D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y.com, davesgoneby.com. You can also find out more by going to our MySpace page. Go to MySpace.com and then search for Dave's Gone By. If you just go MySpace.com slash Dave's Gone By, it doesn't come up. It's weird. You have to search for it. But if you do, it's right there, and that's the place to see our playlists. We're going to be playing a lot of music this morning, I hope. Um, Saturday segues and our Bob Dylan segment and probably a little bit of theater music, too. So, yeah, if you want to know what we're playing and you don't, want to wait for the back announce that I do, or if you forget, you want to write it down, go to myspace.com and search for Dave's Gone By. It will be right there. And also, please, I'm encouraging you, especially on this particular episode, to email me, davesgoneby at aol.com, to let me know your thoughts about the show, to make suggestions, uh, maybe some requests if I can find a song you want to hear, or requests for future guests. See, we don't have a guest on this particular episode of Dave's Gone By. We've been having bunches the past couple of months, sometimes two or three an episode. This one, um, kind of a combination of not finding any a guest that I really wanted to get or guests I really wanted not being available. So when it came down towards the end of the week, I was like, wait a minute, it's not, there is not going to be a guest on this Dave's Gone By. It's been a long time since that happened, and I'm okay with it. Because it brings me back to kind of the, the radio that I started doing when I began Dave's Gone By all those years ago. A lot of those early episodes back in New York didn't have guests. It was just about me talking to you, playing some music, telling some jokes, doing some cultural things, and, and 
you know, enjoying the radio that way. So this is this is kind of retro radio for me. And I would, however, be happy to talk to folks when uh, when I'm not doing the music stuff. And there's a lot to talk about this week. I want to talk politics with you. Do a Dave goes off segment about the news of the economy this week and how both parties treat it. There's this this stuff about Wall Street and whether we're having a bounce back as far as unemployment and the economy and the way Democrats are pushing that and Republicans are responding to what one essentially imagines is good news. We'll talk about that. And if you want to share, take the phone number down, 970-351-1256 is the phone number at UNC Radio, 970-351-1256. We'll also be talking, if there's time, about the whole controversy between the Susan G. Komen Foundation and Planned Parenthood and all the nonsense that went on back and forth over there this week. I'll be going off on that for sure. Also, we might have time to talk about the Facebook IPO, if people are interested in that. And, well, I'm a New York Jet fan, but now that I'm an expatriate New Yorker, I can't deny that there's a certain satisfaction of seeing my old team, the New York Giants, except I was a Jet fan, but okay, my, my old Holmes team, the Giants, popping into the Super Bowl tomorrow early evening. So all of that, lots of fun stuff to talk about on Dave's Gone By, but before I get to any of that, let's get into a musical segue. It is, as we've seen, a snowy day, and a reminder Thanks to not only the Greeley Tribune, but Punxsutawney Phil, who came out and saw his shadow a couple of days ago. Yes, we do have six more weeks of winter. And so in honor of that, I guess for, for a lot of us, negative news for, for, us, for you snow bunnies and skiers, maybe you can see the bright side of it. I don't know. I can't see the bright side because my eyes are too dazzled by the sun bouncing off the snow and blinding me. Mm-hmm. Anywho, how, how, how shall we start our Saturday segue of the return of winter and snow? How about some Neil Young?
We wanted to die But the sound of a drum And the words of a child
Between a mirror breaks my heart The moon frayed through dark velvet lightly apart Steal softly through sunshine Steal softly through snow The wild goose flies from winter Breaks my heart that I can't go Energy flies through a field and the sun softly melts a nothing wheel Still softly through sunshine Still softly through snow The black paper between the mirror breaks my heart that I can't go The swan the feathers don't grow their spine They live two hundred years of love they're one Across the sun Through sunshine, steal softly through snow.
them out the soonest when the winds begin to sing. And the corn it ripens faster when the frosts are settling in. And when a woman tells me that my face she'll soon forget. Before we part, I'll wager corn She's fain to follow it yet For the snows, they melt the soonest When the winds begin to sing And the swallow flies without the thought As long as it is spring But when spring goes and the winter blows You'll be fine for all the bright to follow me across the stormy night. Thank you. 
Snow don't fall on summer's time. Wind don't blow below the sea. My love lies neath frozen skies. Waits in the sweet repose for me. 
while her eyes did laugh and her lips did sing and her legs did roll my soul to bring and her hair did curl and her thoughts unfurl like birds upon the wings of spring My love I need not see To know she cast her glance at me Well snow don't fall On summer's time Wind don't blow below the sea. My love lies neath frozen skies and waits in sweet repose for me.
Rolling Stones there from Goat's Head Soup. Kind of um, the beginning that everybody talks about of they're going a bit downhill with that album after the extraordinary run of records that they had done from Beggar's Banquet up to Let It Bleed and then um, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street. I mean, you know, a pretty extraordinary run of music there. And then they're kind of kind of starting to tail off, but that's one of the nicer tracks, certainly, on Goat's Head Soup with uh, Mick Taylor's guitar there mixing in with the orchestra and strings on Winter, closing our Winter and Snow set here on this 375th episode of Dave's Gong By. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and uh, as I said, this is going to be kind of a looser, mellower show with uh, more music and just more of me yakking at you because I just thought that would be fun to do today on this snowy day. Glad it wasn't worse up here in northern Colorado. It certainly could have been. But let me tell you what you heard in that set, just in case you don't have your MySpace page open. Because if you do, then you know that uh, the Dave's Gone By MySpace page gives you the list of all the songs that we play. But just in case, you know, you're elsewhere or, or you didn't bother to open the MySpace I'm going to tell you what we just played in our first Saturday segue of the morning in honor of our first snowstorm in about six or seven weeks. We started with Neil Young doing Winter Long, and that was, of course, a live version from the Live at the Fillmore CD that uh, we put out just a couple of years ago. And then we heard a really cool song from the band Low called Last Snowstorm of the Year. I don't really know that much about them, but uh, after hearing that song, I want to find out a lot more. So, yeah, that was the band Low. And then the unmistakable voice of Nico with Roses in the Snow. Kind of a, kind of a tough listen, but boy, oh boy, if you're looking for a dreary song that makes you feel the absolute ice isolation and desolation of winter roses in the snow will do it or pretty much anything off that nico album i think it's the marble index um let me let me make sure on that it's like her first album was kind of warm and folky well as as warm as nico ever got and then let's see what do we have um what album was it? It was the yeah, it was the Marble Index. So the only song I really like on that record is the beautiful Frozen Warnings, which I, I guess I could have played that one just as easily. But anywho, a bit of Nico followed by Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. Steal softly 
through snow from Trout Mask Replica, then the unmistakable voice and guitar pickings of Bert Jansch when he was in Pentangle doing The Snows, followed by, wow, so many unmistakable voices in this set, Divine Comedy and its lead singer Neil Hannon, he's kind of the guiding light behind Divine Comedy, Snowball in Negative, followed by one of those just effortless, seemingly effortless, Lovely Ballads by Towns Van Zandt, Snow Don't Fall, and then Rolling Stones from Goat's Head Soup with Winter. It is 1047 in the morning here at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and you are listening to Dave's Gone By on uncradio.com. Or if you are in your dorms, I forgot to mention this, remember that Channel 3 streams this radio station 24-7. You just click Channel 3 on your dorm room TVs, and you can hear every show that we do here on the station, including Dave's Gone By, which airs every Saturday from 10 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon. Well, as I mentioned, this is going to be a, a musicy and talky edition of the show, because I, I, I want to go off on a couple of things. I want to share with you my thoughts, which I kind of get to do here and there, but when I have a whole lot of guests and also music to play and other things, it, it sort of gets a little lost. So, you know, let, let's, let's start with politics. And don't turn off your radios. This is not necessarily going to be like, um, well, it's certainly not going to be like a Bill O'Reilly kind of a Glenn Beck sort of a screed, nor is it going to be this ultra-liberal left-wing MSNBC, um, what's her name, um, what's all their names? <laughs> God, you know, I can, you can see how little of these things I watch at this point. I know Fox News just, just had its 10th year of having the best ratings of all those kinds of stations because, well, you know, they're entertaining and as fiction tends to be. <laughs> entertaining. Rachel Maddow, that's the name of the, the woman I was thinking of. Rachel Maddow and all those those folks of, on MSNBC and um, Keith Olbermann, who's now on a station that you can only get if you climb up to the bear on the UNC Hill and you put the aerial right through the bear's ear. You can possibly pick up the cable station that, uh, that Keith Olbermann's on. So, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be just me saying the, the wonderful, tragic, silly, and sick absurdity that is our political discourse in this country these days. So, okay, so news comes out this week, and it's good news. It's really kind of hard to deny the, on the basic surface of everything that this was good news. We got the economic data, and... It really wasn't just, ah, oh, waiver is this, it's that, it's after Christmas. And then, no, no. Unemployment took a nice little tumble, I think down to 8.3%. It was unexpected. They thought it was going to go down a little. It went down more. And so there, there's really no other way to look at that news but in a positive light after you know the last three, four, five, six years of bad economic crap. Here is suddenly something that says, ooh, we may just be turning things around. We're adding jobs, and they're being added in a lot of different sectors, in a lot of different ways. It isn't just government jobs. It isn't just this or that. Okay, fine. With that news, 
suddenly also the, well, no, certainly not sudden, Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial, spiked. And it's not like it shot up 600 points in one day. It had been going up steadily, steadily, steadily past the 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 mark. And then just, I think, on Friday, it closed at its highest level since 2008 and up to like 12,800-something, whatever. Sorry about all the whatevers. I don't have the, the story in front of me. I'm just taking some of the basic facts from my memory so I can talk about them. And by the way, if you want to chat about them with me, whether you agree or disagree or you just want to shoot the breeze, remember that the phone number here at UNC Radio is area code 970-351-1256. You don't have to be in Colorado. I know a lot of my listeners are on Long Island and New York still. 970-351-1256. Call in. Let's talk about this and the economic stuff and and my opinion on this. So, okay. So, you get a double shot of really cool news. Unemployment numbers go down, which makes people think, hey, the economy's turning around. The president says it. And then Wall Street believes it. Because sometimes Wall Street and the unemployment numbers don't jive. You'll get a good unemployment reading and Wall Street will be have its, have its mind on other things and go down that day, and it's bizarre. This particular time, shoom, went up 150 points to the best numbers in three years or so. Okay. Now, you've got the Democrats who are uh, taking a deep sigh of relief, including, I'm sure, the president, and going, oh, oh, yeah. And as much as they're happy for people getting jobs, as much as they're, they're happy that the numbers are going down and that Wall Street and people are making money and hiring, they're also going, oh, you know, this is, this is going to really help us in the election if things don't turn around again in the next eight or nine months. Because, of course, news cycles happen so fast in our culture that here it is, it's only February. The elections are in November. God knows what could occur. Between now and I mean, if you look at the Republican side, we had different Republican front runners every week for a month back in, you know, towards the end of 2011. And so to say, oh, well, these economic numbers are going to be really, really good for the president and, and to keep him in power as an incumbent in November, it's way too early to even imagine or say that. But OK, let the Democrats coast on their high. Let them say, ah. Oh, you know, this is because all the Republicans have in their arsenal, except for these ridiculous kind of, well, he's a socialist, he's a communist garbage, is saying he can turn the economy around. There's no jobs. There's no jobs. Housing's bad. This is bad. So if you counter the Republicans and say, well, no, it took a lot of time and it took throwing some money at the problem, but maybe these numbers are showing that it's going to work if you give it time. And it is turning around. And there are starting to be a few more jobs, and maybe that will grow. And consumer confidence will certainly grow from all this. And then the Wall Street's growing. So, you know, Democrats dancing around and caring that, ah, okay, you know, Obama can go out there, stump to keep his job, and have this in his pocket, this in his arsenal, the main torpedo that the Republicans are using against him may backfire on themselves because he can just say, hey, <laughs> it took a while and you didn't give me your trust and you didn't give me your help, but it's turning around anyway. Now you've got the Republicans on the other side. What are they going to do? 
What are they going to say? What are they saying about these economic numbers? How do they spin it? The Fox spin, the New York Post spin, the Wall Street Journal spin. How do they, um, how do they make the good news seem bad? Because that's all they care about. You know, they can say, "Oh well, we're, we're glad people are kind of getting jobs and things are turning around." First thing, you know, John Boehner, I think, said, "Well, okay, yes, this is good news." Yeah, he, he has to begrudgingly admit that people getting jobs and, and companies hiring is good news. Because any little admission is like, oh, 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 it helps the president. You know, he'll keep us out of power for four more years. So he, ha- but but he can't ignore it either. Yeah, the, the Republicans were just hungry, salivating for rotten news. And when it's not rotten, they've got to take the good news and turn it into their version of rotten news. Or Fox turns it into their phone news. And so they, they will say some legitimate things. And they'll say, okay, sure, the numbers are better than expected. They're, they won't, God forbid they'll say good. But they're, they're, they weren't what we expected. They're higher than what had been anticipated, okay, that's a positive sign, maybe, but let's not forget that it doesn't count all those people, tens of thousands of people who aren't in the job market anymore because there were no jobs to be had. They stopped looking, and when you stop looking, you're not actually counted among the unemployment rolls. And I I read a story somewhere on the net where we actually should expect kind of a, a little spike again in unemployment from this. And it's only because people who have who gave up, who stopped being in the job market, will start going, ooh, things are turning around. I better start sending out resumes again and, and trying to get hired and, and what have you. And so you'll have this influx of people looking again. And that will, of course, make unemployment rise because there aren't that many jobs for them. But at least for now... The Republicans, all they can say, and this is what they are saying, is, well, it's statistics. You're lying with numbers. Anybody can lie with numbers. Now, my wife is a gerontologist and something of a statistician, too, and she'll be the first to agree with that. You can make numbers do the dance that you want to play. Well, you, know, you pick up the flute, and however you run those numbers on the computer, they'll crunch out to sort of support your thesis. And so the Republicans have some right to say, oh, you know, these numbers are not correct or they don't take into account the real story or the tens and thousands of people who are out of work and stop looking so they're not counted. It makes you wonder, though, would they have said the same thing, that the numbers are wrong and being cooked if they had been bad or if they had plateaued again. It's funny when a few months ago, the numbers were unchanged, and Obama became president zero in their eyes. Remember, zero growth, zero whatever, zero change. He was the president of change, and there's no change. And they're jumping up and down. So, so those numbers apparently didn't lie. When the numbers looked bad on the Democratic or, or um, the presidential side, Republicans took them as gospel. They said, oh, oh, he's, he's, uh, he's zero. Oh, unemployment numbers are bad. He's not doing his job. He's just throwing money away, dot, dot, dot. Now, suddenly, after three years in office of the grinding way that the economy has to turn itself around, when presumably you're, they're using the same statistical model and programs to come up with the figures 
for unemployment, for job growth, for economic growth overall, presumably they haven't changed whatever variables they're using. It's the same data, well, not the same data, but the same um, numbers and programs to crunch the data that they were using when the news was bad. And yet now suddenly it's showing, ooh, a drop in unemployment. Now the Republicans are saying, oh, well, they're lying with numbers. It's not the truth. Somehow it was the truth when Obama was, was president. Zero is not the truth now. That's the Republicans for you. And the other charge is, well, yes, they're saying it now to get him elected. So, oh, wow, what a miracle. Suddenly the numbers are spiking. Well, don't you think, considering what I, I just said a couple of minutes ago about the quickness, the rapidity of news cycles in this country and of popularity cycles, don't you think they would have waited until, I don't know, September, October for a spike if they wanted to manufacture one? Don't you think nine months away is a little early to suddenly fake a bit of good news in the economy in order to affect an election? It's so far away. I mean, I could say, oh, wow, if, if unemployment had been 9.3, 9.2, 9.1 going slugging through the winter, trudging through the spring into the summer, and it's still 9%. And then, boom, we wake up in October, and it's 8.5. You might raise an eyebrow. You might say, mm, what's been done here? Who's been, who's been fudging the numbers for the Democrats' sake in order that just a week or two or four before the elections, boom, when we have really cool economic news? No! The Republicans saying I haven't even held their convention yet, nor have the Democrats. We've got a ways to go. So I think that's such a specious and spurious thing for the Republicans to float out there that you know they're fudging with numbers specifically as this way of keeping Obama on top. I just it's so irritating and enervating the way it goes back and forth. And I don't blame only Republicans for it because I'm sure the Democrats have that same motivation and feeling. You know, when the numbers spike, it isn't just about, oh, well, you know, great, people are getting jobs. It's about, no, we we stay in office if the public vote Obama back in. I don't know. Um, One of my thoughts, by the way, about Mitt Romney and and the field, as it were, of contenders, I mean, I have my, my... weird, I won't say weird, just my doubts and kind of my cocked eyebrow, I should say, a couple of weeks back when uh, they had the Iowa caucuses and Romney won by a million vote. I mean, it was eight votes separating him and Rick Santorum with Ron Paul a few thousand votes behind. And I talked about that. I think, I think Rabbi Saul also did a bit about this, and say, well, suddenly two days later, Mitt Romney was the obvious front runner, and it just didn't jive with what seemed to happen in Iowa. Now, I have no love for Rick Santorum, of course, um, with his total right-wing conservative and ultra-Christian views. I don't think that should be foisted on a non-sectarian country like the United States of America, but give the man his due. Yeah. He was uh, in a virtual dead heat with Mitt Romney in those caucuses. As a matter of fact, three weeks later, 
they discover, oh, you know, we tallied the statistics again, and actually, yes, Santorum came out ahead. Too late. Sorry. Somehow, the media made it that, that Romney was the obvious frontrunner, even though there was nothing like that decided at the Iowa caucus. And I think that's what also got even the Republican people, the voters, a bit upset and on edge. And, and the reason we saw the sudden surge of Newt Gingrich, it was a way to tell the Republicans in power and, and the media as well, hey, 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 hey. You're, why are you deciding this for us? Obviously, the folks in Iowa couldn't make up their minds because they had almost a three-way tie. Why are you suddenly saying, oh, Mitt Romney's the one? And then, well, let's find somebody else. If, if Santorum is a little too of the uh, heavy born-again Christian persuasion, well, fine, you know, let's, let's go with Gingrich because he's, he's probably the best overall speaker, the most charismatic of all the Republican candidates. And, you know, he also has some pretty good ideas. And then he's also got some really scary conservative ideas as well. So let, but for the Republicans, okay, fine. Let's just say, oh, you, you want your Romney, let's, let's not decide this so quick. Let's let the people actually decide who's going to be the, the Republican nominee for President of the United States. Not, oh, three-way tie, media says Mitt Romney looks the most like a president, <laughs> you know. So Mitt Romney does look like the most like a president, should, in my you know, middle-class white suburban sort of mindset of what a president ought to look like, you know. Um, will he nab it? Is, is Gingrich going to just slowly fade away now? We'll see. I think Gingrich will give him a fight towards the, uh, the convention. Romney probably will, get, you know, because he's been weighing a, a couple of things and they expect him to do really well in his, his home turf of Utah. We'll see. And I guess that's a good thing because Democrats are just not going to vote for uh, Romney, especially, as I said, if things, if the economy does stay on a fairly even course to turn around, you know, even if it doesn't do this marvelous bump like we just got, even if it kind of plateaus and, uh, you know, sort of, we almost got a little bit of false hope there rather than real hope. Still, rather than put power back in the hands of the Republicans, Democrats are going to shy away from a Teflon nothing like Mitt Romney and stay with Obama. And Republicans are just not going to galvanize unless things go really bad. They're just not going to go like, Romney, Romney, we love you, Romney. Nobody loves Mitt Romney. He's there. He looks the part. And that's about it. And I guess he'll learn how to talk the game and, and do the game. And some people are going to be afraid of his Mormonism. And I think that's wrong. But that will cost him some votes. And, and, and you know, probably have some apathy in there for him. It's just, um, yeah. as, as a Democrat who is certainly not remotely in love with Barack Obama, but sees him as a better alternative, alternative than anything the Republicans have put forward this year and in the past five to seven years, yeah. <laughs> actually in the past 12 years, if you think about it, um, it can only be good news. At this point, you know, let, fine, let them pick Romney because nobody, nobody really wants him. We'll see who his vice president, presidential pick is. Yeah, if, if Obama could survive a nothing like Biden, then uh, 
Maybe Republicans will know better than to do another Sarah Palin. We'll see. But for now, all I can say is, you know, steady the course, Republicans, and we'll have four more years of the Democrats trying to correct eight years of horrible Republican mistakes. If you want to share your thoughts about the elections, about the politics, the Republicans, the Democrats, Obama, Romney, Gingrich, Santorum, Ron Paul, give me a buzz, 351-1256 is the number here at the radio station, 970-351-1256. I've spewed my thoughts, would love to hear yours, so give us a buzz. And uh, while we're kind of waiting, and just before I get a chance to clear my throat with a bit more music, on this episode of Dave's Gone By. Let me remind you that it's 11.07 in the morning here in Greeley, Colorado, that we're coming to you from the University of Northern Colorado, pardon me, and that this program is Dave's Gone By. Find out more about it at davesgoneby.com. Email me at davesgoneby at aol.com. Oh, by the way, yeah, if you're not comfortable calling or talking on the air, please do feel free to drop me an email with your thoughts, and if I can get to it before the end of the show, I'll read your thoughts on the air, whether you agree, disagree, or otherwise. So, I want to tell you about the sponsors of this radio station and of this program. First of all, do you want to see the world? Do you want to experience life from a whole new perspective? Attend the UNC Study Abroad Fair Wednesday, February 8th, 10 to 3 in the afternoon in the University Center in the lower level and learn how to, how study abroad can change your life. I know my wife and I went to Italy with a group of students last summer for two weeks, and it was just a really fabulous experience. We were looking at the pictures just the other night and, and seeing the fun we had. And all, we went to five different cities, and we took a cooking class, and we went to a, you know, a place where an earthquake had hit. And we, well, that... That part wasn't the most fun, but it was just so culturally stimulating and enjoyable. And, and being with these people and then seeing this, this other culture and this other place, study abroad fair, I, yeah, I can only recommend it. Um, and that's, ooh, I guess that's the only advertising I have to do, except maybe Marquee Magazine. Programming on UNC Radio is sponsored by Marquee Magazine, an independent Colorado mag that covers the regional live music scene in print and online. With the region's most thorough concert calendar, Marquee is designed for music freaks by music freaks. Go to MarqueeMag.com, M-A-R-Q-U-E-E, Mag.com. The Marquee, live for live music. And... Let me also tell you about the sponsors for this particular program, Dave's Gone By. We could not do it without the love and support of Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Torong family has owned and operated Hewlett Minuteman Press in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island, just two blocks from the the, uh, Hewlett train station, across the street from the old Lomans that's there, and... If you mention Dave's Gone By, you get 10% off any job, big or small, copying, printing, binding, putting your logo on a pencil or a mug or a calendar or a golf ball. They also do um, holiday cards, New Year's, well, you don't really care about New Year's cards, but hey, St. Patrick's Day, 
is coming up. And let's see, you know, graduations aren't that far away. It's already February. All of those kinds of cards and whatever else that you would need that involves printing and logoing and binding and all that stuff. Hewlett Minuteman Press is the place to go. Call 516-569-5577 to reach the Torong family and Minuteman. 516-569-5577. Tell them Dave sent you and you get 10 off at Minuteman, they are the kings. Now, if you want to talk about the Bible of Broadway, then you would be talking about Performing Arts Insider, a journal that has covered Broadway and off-Broadway theater since the 1940s. Believe it or not, the, the mag is about 69 years old. There wasn't even much of an off-Broadway when it started, but it was there to give you all the detailed information of every show uh, that, that was happening on the stages of New York. And not just, okay, well, there's a show playing. You can get that anywhere. No, it tells you when casts are coming in, when they're changing, when a show is going into previews, when it's closing. It's also going to give you contact information for actors and designers and the producers and the managers and the press agents. Performing Arts Insider is the journal that people in the entertainment industry use in order to contact other people in the entertainment industry. A lot of people from TV who are bookers for late-night talk shows or even the morning talk shows will use Performing Arts Insider because they'll say, oh, wow, what actor is going to be coming to Broadway in two months. I want to book them for the show. How do I get in touch with them? Oh, there's their agent's number. There's their manager. Oh, here's, here's, um, we have this studio that we want to design. We want to get in touch with a costume guy. Oh, there's his number. There's his email address. These are in the pages of Performing Arts Insider. It's an expensive journal. I will not deny that. But the people who have it keep it for years because they value it. It is the Bible of Broadway. So to find out more, go to performingartsinsider.com. Performingartsinsider.com. And remember, it, it has a website. But you have to get the hard copy journal. That's where the information is. And and you know what? People still like to read the old-fashioned way. They like to read a, a magazine, a journal, on the train, at the coffee table, uh, in the armchair, having it open on the desk to flip through it. Not everything is just point and click. Most is nowadays. Most. But not everything has to be. PerformingArtsInsider.com, the Bible of Broadway. Also, kind of visit um, TotalTheater.com when you get a chance. That is an absolutely 100% free website of theater reviews and articles from Broadway, off-Broadway, all over the country and all over the world. So you can read reviews of the latest Broadway shows. For example, there's... uh, Reviews of Porgy and Bess, the controversial new Broadway version of that musical. You've also got uh, David Ives play Venus and Furs up there, Seminar, all these, these cool shows that are playing now on Broadway. You want to find out what the critics thought of them? Visit TotalTheater.com. Also, to read really cool articles about the actors and directors and designers who make theater happen all over the world. I know there's recent articles up there about Petula Clark, who's doing her first cabaret 
show. And you remember Petula Clark from downtown. And also there's a brand new article about um, the, the Bolgers. There, there's more than one brother and sister act happening on Broadway these days. Of course, we've got Sutton Foster in Anything Goes and Hunter Foster, who's been in a bunch of things like Little Shop of Horrors. Well, there's another brother and sister do, they're not a team. They don't generally work together, but they're both performers of a Broadway level. Celia Keenan-Bolger and her brother Andrew Keenan-Bolger. You want to read about them? They're really adorable. Go to togletheater.com. Go right to the homepage, and you can read that article for free. Hundreds of other articles, thousands of reviews at togletheater.com. Last sponsor that I should mention, shout out to my good friend Jeff Goodman of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. If you are having a party in the New York Tri-State area, call 516-797-3229. Area code 516-797-3229. Fancy Schmancy Balloons. It is not just balloons, although they certainly do that in balloon archways, but they make centerpieces and they make your party look exactly the way you want it to. If you're a new, well, it's too late now, but if you're a New York Giants fan and you wanted to do a Super Bowl party that is all decked out in Giants regalia, Jeff is the guy to call. So that means, if again, you're planning a St. Patrick's Day party or maybe looking ahead towards graduations and also bar mitzvahs and christenings and brisses and all those kinds of things. Jeff Goodman of Fancy Schmancy Balloons, 516-797-3229. Shouldn't your party be a fancy schmancy affair? Well, our affair here continues, our love affair with the radio, here on Dave's Gone By on this Saturday morning, February 4th, 2012. Can barely see out the window here, not sure... If it's still flurrying, it's certainly not you know, heavy snow or coming down in buckets or anything like that. So let's get back to a bit of music. I would like to do another Saturday segue for you before we get to our Bob Dylan segment. And um, what's kind of cool is that, or <laughs> actually it's not cool at all, but I just discovered this. There's a, <coughs> a film director by the name of Zalman King. He was an actor and also a director and a producer. And um, he had some success in 1950s and early 60s television in shows, well, a lot of westerns, Gunsmoke and Bonanza. He also had a major featured role in a show called The Young Lawyers that people remember fondly. Then he went into more of the directing and writing side and became known, for better and worse, uh, for doing erotic thrillers and <coughs> just basic um, soft-core erotica, just tailor-made, usually for cable. Although sometimes he went a bit beyond that. He's, he's best known for producing the Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke film Nine and a Half Weeks. He also ended up writing and directing Wild Orchid, the Mickey Rourke and Jacqueline, <coughs> Jacqueline Bissett film. He was also um, very involved in the cable show Red Shoe Diaries. So basically, you know, he's telling kind of simple stories in an erotic fashion with some nudity and, you know, enjoyable cable entertainment or, or home video rental kind of entertainment stuff. Well, alas, Zalman King died yesterday after a six-year battle with cancer. And one thing that I did not know about him 
was that Zalman King was not his real full name. And I assume, you know, if he kept the name Zalman, <laughs> nobody was going to make any mistakes about his heritage. And yet, who knew that his real full name was Zalman King Lefkowitz with a V? Now, I spell mine with a W, just, you know, one of those things that I guess happened at Ellis Island. But it's, it's kind of a shock to me to read the obituary on this fellow and go, whoa, whoa, Zalman King Lefkowitz. I had no idea. And so in honor of, well, the sadness of losing something of a namesake, and also somebody who, you know, made a lot of movies, a lot of movies that a lot of people watched but might not necessarily admit to watching or enjoying. It's been a long time since I saw Nine and a Half Weeks, and I remember it being really, really panned by the critics. And my thinking, it was kind of interesting. Not as sexy or erotic as, as people were saying or hoping that it was, but at the same time, a, a lot more to it and, and more going on in it than all the critics and the naysayers were giving it credit for. Whereas, of course, he did a lot of lighter stuff for Red Shoe Diaries and things like that. They were just, you know, fodder to get people horny. Okay, fine. And and <laughs> that's what it's for. That's what it did. More power to him for having, the, you know, the courage to step into Hollywood and, and find that niche and do it. And, you know, if people have a problem with that or they're prudes, you know, too bad for them. So let's have a King tribute to the late Zalman King Lefkowitz with some songs that involve the word king. Let's begin with some Beatles. And this is from, of course, their... Ah, there it is. Abbey Road and the beautiful harmonies of Sun King.
wish I was the warrior in every language that I speak. Lord, over all that I survey and all that I see, I keep power omnipresent, undiminished, uncontrolled. With a massive violent fury at the center of my soul. Charging power Always at my command Footsteps so heavy That the world shakes My rage instilling fear Yet cautious, firm But fair and good The perfect warrior king
you relieve me, baby. Take your heart from your sleeve and put it on the line. Put it right here beside mine. I can't seem to read you most of the time. Don't you know that I? Refugee from the seraphim in your 
From the Mirror Blue collection, a bit of Richard Thompson there doing King of Bohemia. Kind of a sad but pretty song from Richard Thompson, capping our second Saturday segue of the morning here on Dave's Gong by that particular set using the word King as its theme in honor, in memory of the late actor and director and producer Zalman King, formerly known or, or known at birth as Zalman King Lefkowitz. And perhaps I shouldn't, uh, I should have said right off, there's no relation as far as I can possibly tell. There's a lot of Lefkowitzes 
in this world. Thank goodness. And he spelled his also a little differently from mine. He, he was really, it was a, with a V, Lefkowitz was um, the birth name of Solomon King there. But, uh, you know, hey, who, uh, who knows how close or distant cousins we might have been 120 years ago, family-wise, somewhere in Poland or Russia when the borders kept changing and the names kept floating. So maybe he was a distant, distant, distant relative. Either way, I wanted to just honor that little bit of information that I just found out when reading his obituary, that his real last name was Lefkowitz, by giving him, well, it's not as if I could, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of songs with Lefkowitz in them, but there's a ton of songs with King in their titles. So that was a Saturday segue for the late Zalman King. We heard the Beatles doing Sun King from Abbey Road, Amy Mann with the King of the Jailhouse XTC with King for a Day from the Oranges and Lemons collection. Lou Reed with Warrior King. Kind of a dark... And, and very often, uh, Zalman King will explore the dark side of people and sexuality in his movies. Lucinda Williams doing a very sad song there called King of Hearts. And Richard Thompson with King of Bohemia. It is 11.46 in the morning in Greeley, Colorado, coming to you from the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. The program is Dave's Gone By. We've got little more than an hour to go. We have Rabbi Saul Solomon coming up with his rabbinical reflection for the week. He's going to tell some jokes. Um, yes, he's going to actually try to be intentionally funny this particular Saturday morning. We'll see how he fares. Also, in just a little while, we've got our weekly Bob Dylan segment, too. Bob Dylan, sooner and later. And we're going to be doing all cover versions in our Dylan set today. Uh, just in honor of the success so far of the that big, like, 80-song CD that just came out a week or two ago, Chimes of Freedom, where they've got all these different people covering Bob Dylan songs, from Yola Tango to probably the most celebrated, whether you like it or despise it, I haven't heard it, but Miley Cyrus doing a Bob Dylan number, and maybe Gaga's on there. I mean, just this whole cross-section from country and pop and rock and indie doing Bob Dylan songs. And I'm sure it's like most of these compilation things. There's probably like, you know, 10% are real wonderful keepers. 20% are pretty good. You know, 40% are just okay. And then, you know, the rest, you wonder why they even bother coming into the studio. I mean, that's just the way these things go. So I haven't heard it. I don't have that CD. But in commemoration of the fact that uh, all these people are covering Dylan's music, I figure I'll play a bunch of Bob Dylan songs that are covered by other people over the past bunch of years. So stick around for that. That'll be about noon here on Dave's Gone By. But before that, we want to get to Inside Broadway. What's happening in and around the Broadway theater that I do love and that I still cover when I can get back into Manhattan. And Inside Broadway is, of course, brought to you by TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider, The Bible of Broadway. Well, the big, big story on uh, Broadway this week, especially thanks to the New York Post and my good friend Michael Regal, who, who 
dug it up or either it was leaked to him or he found it or whatever he did. He's just got the magic to find these things. And there's this huge feud involving the play that won the Pulitzer Prize last year. It's called Clybourne Park by Bruce Norris. And it's all about this Chicago neighborhood and um, a couple of decades go by and the change in the neighborhood and how it's affecting black and white families there. And it's a comedy. I, I had not realized that. It's supposed to be really, really good. So it had uh, staging off-Broadway about two years ago, and by the time anybody knew it was there and realized that it was something to see, it was already closing. And then they did um, another production regionally, and now they wanted to bring it in. Lincoln Center Theater and then Scott Rudin and... Uh, What's the other guy? Stuart Thompson, who produces a lot of things with Scott Rudin, they were going to bring it into Broadway to the Walter Kerr Theater in April. Everything was all set, and it's a relatively <clears throat> low-budget show. It's a uh, non-musical, and I think the, the whole budget on it is $2.5 million, which, when you consider that Spider-Man went upwards and over a 65 mil, you can, you can kind of see the difference there. But anyway... Bruce Norris, the author, the playwright of Clybourne Park, is a playwright and an actor, and apparently a pretty good actor because this Scott Rudin, the producer, put him in a major role in this TV series that he's doing called The Corrections, which is based on that Jonathan Franzen book. It's on HBO. And Norris, the playwright, thought about it and worked on the TV thing, and he said, you know what? I really don't want to be doing that much acting right now. I want to concentrate on my writing. I'm a playwright. I want to do more writing. And he bowed out of this this incredible role on an HBO TV series. He said, I, I don't want to do it. Well, this infuriated the producer, Scott Rudin. And Scott Rudin said, I'm taking my marbles and going home. And he said, if, if you're going to pull out of my TV series in the middle of production, well then I'm going to pull out of bringing your show to Broadway. And he pulled his money out, took his partner, and suddenly Clybourne Park was left relatively rudderless. It, it, was, it was certainly short of all the money that it needed to get it into the Walter Kerr Theater in April. Well, since then, uh, another couple of producers look like they're going to be stepping up to the plate, mainly uh, the Jujamson organization. Now, the Jujamson owns the Walter Kerr Theater, so it was to their strong detriment when Scott Rutten pulled the plug on the money because here's a theater they were going to have a play in it this spring. If it just sits there dead and empty, that's just, you know, that's real estate going to waste. So Jujamson itself, which has produced other things, is saying, all right, well, we'll put some of our own money into the show, along with Lincoln Center and probably find another couple of producers too. The show is still on and look for Clybourne Park, to hit the Walter Kerr Theater in April. So it's on target. We will see if if the intrigue continues. I mean, and, you know, I've, I've, I only know what I've read, but I've also heard some other things. That, you know, there, there can be two different sides to this story. I mean, it makes Bruce Norris certainly sound like a, uh, a very strange <laughs> and eccentric sort of a jerk to do what he did. But I've also heard some not-so-wonderful things about Scott Rudin, so who knows. Um... Out of Hiding is our next story for Frank Wildhorn fans, and I know you're out there, and also I have to be something of a fan because Frank Wildhorn was a guest on Dave's Gone By a few years ago, as was his, um, 
his ex-wife, Linda Eder, the singer, and, and they're still friends and stuff. But it was kind of nice that both of those folks were guests on this show. But Wildhorn has not had the most stellar career box office-wise, commercially, or even critically on Broadway. His Jekyll and Hyde ran a bunch of years, and I think either made a little money, broke even, came close in the long run, but certainly ran quite a while and had its adherents on Broadway. But everything else Frank Wildhorn has brought to Broadway, for better or worse, has just crashed and burned. He did like three versions of a musical of the Scarlet Pimpernel. He did a Dracula show. He did the Civil War thing. And then he did um, that Wonderland show that ran for about two weeks last season. And then this season, it looked like he almost might have that first somewhat small possible hit. You know, he got better reviews than he had for most of his other stuff for a musical version of Bonnie and Clyde. And he had good actors in it, and people liked the actors, but it just, the critics were eh, and the audience didn't come, and it ran a month, and it was gone. And so Wildhorn has just been like the, the pony that collapses <laughs> just when all the others are crossing the finish line. Just ain't happening for him. So he's going back to the one thing that actually gave him his closest taste of success in New York. They're bringing back Jekyll and Hyde, the musical. It's um, a show that ran from April 1997 to January 2001. So, yeah, it had a a pretty good run back then. They're going to do a 25-city tour of this new Jekyll and Hyde, and they're expecting it on Broadway in spring of 2013, featuring Constantine Maroulis. I think he was in Rock of Ages, and uh, he's, he's going to be playing the lead character. Jeff Calhoun will direct and choreograph the show, which is, of course, based on the Robert Louis Stevenson story. And if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know the show, if you don't know even the name Frank Wildhorn, just remember, this is the show from whence you get the song, This Is The Moment. This is the moment. You know, they used it in the Olympics, I think. It's, it's become something of a standard. Well, it came from Jekyll and Hyde. So if you want to hear at least that song, you're going to have to go to Broadway in 2013 for the revival of Jekyll and Hyde. Also, speaking of shows that, well, J&H might have been something of a small hit, but one of the most famous flops in semi-recent Broadway history was 1988's Carrie, based on the Stephen King book, uh, based on the film, of course, um, a Brian De Palma film, I think it was, The musical by Michael Gore and Dean Pitchford had a wild and very short ride on Broadway two decades ago. Critics didn't know what to make of it. Audiences didn't know whether it was camp or goth or serious. And these days they're kind of blaming it on on some level on the staging. They brought in a director from the Royal Shakespeare Company, and he really played up the spectacle and the goth parts and changed a whole bunch of things. And the creators weren't particularly happy with what he came out with. Neither were audiences. Apparently it was a mess with really great things in it. So now... New Yorkers are getting another chance to look at Carrie. It's starting previews. In fact, it started previews this past Tuesday at the Lucille Lortel Theater. Manhattan Class Company is the producing organization on it. Um, and the revival will open March 1st at the Lortel. It's directed by Stafford Arima. And, I mean, just to tell you what an iconic flop 
this was. There's a book by Ken Mandelbaum, one of the more popular books about theater in the past bunch of years. And it's all about Broadway shows that just bleh, that died. And he, he titled the book, Not Since Carrie, as in the phrase, Not Since Carrie Have I Seen a Show So Messed Up, So Disastrous, So This, So That. So who knows? We will see if suddenly the fortunes will turn and we'll get to see Carrie resurrect, much in the way <laughs> yeah, Sissy SpaceX hand does at the very end of the movie there. So, Carrie's back at the Lortel Theater. Now, something that isn't going to be back, that was supposed to be resurrected, but won't be, is the Algonquin Oak Room. Yeah, kind of sad news there. This, this hotel space, this cabaret club, high level, that's been around for decades and decades, and in its current form for the past 32 years, one of the top level cabaret nightclub spaces in New York, the Algonquin Oak Room, was undergoing renovations, or was supposed to, and then it was going to reopen in the spring. However, I guess the money was too much, or the owners of the Algonquin just figured it's not worth it. There's other ways to make a better use of the space and, and <laughs> make more dough in this climate. And so the Oak Room is closed for good, apparently. Um, which really, the, the interesting thing is, although there's been, I wouldn't say, a boom in cabaret and nightclub performing over, over the past couple of years, but it certainly had a somewhat more noticeable resurgence. And then, you know, people are, are, are attuned to it. And although there are really only two other clubs on that level left now in New York, there's Feinstein's and then there's uh, the Cafe Carlisle. That's that's really it. I mean, unless you start going downtown and then you've got uh, Don't Tell Mamas and you've got, um, I'm not sure if 88's is still there. I think that closed a while ago. But then there's one or two others. Uh, well, Don't Tell Mamas up on 46th, I think. And then there's, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it. It's the one where Joan Rivers sometimes practices her act uh, right near Christopher in 7th Avenue South. Well, if, if, you, if you know the name of it, email me when, when we have music playing again. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. But you know what I'm saying. It's like there's not a lot of places where people can go see. I mean, there's jazz clubs in the village, but actual nightclubs, not too many of them, and we've lost another one. The fabled Algonquin Oak Room, basically best known for the past few years as uh, the place where Andrea Marcovici would do her act a couple of, you know, for, for months at a time, and people would go and see her there. So I'm sure she'll be snapped up by Feinstein's or, or whatever, but still, some, some sad news for the cabaret world, and sad news for the film and theater world as well. Biagio Anthony Gazzara died this past week, just a day or two ago. He was 81 years old. Biagio Anthony Gazzara, of course, best known as Ben Gazzara, he started as an electrician and then began taking acting classes, joined the actor's studio. As a matter of fact, in his early years, apparently, his name was mentioned in the same breath as Brando. Go figure. And he made his Broadway debut in a play called End as a Man in 1953. And then two years later, you know, a little bit of Broadway history here, Ben Gazzara created the role of Brick in Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. 
pretty, uh, yeah, doesn't really necessarily get more major than that. He also got to play George opposite Colleen Dewhurst's Martha in a 1976 revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Kind of wish I could have seen that. And then uh, last time he was on Broadway, I actually got to see him in a 2006 revival of Clifford Odette's play Awake and Sing. And I remember that one of the big stories of that was, well, will his voice hold out? He had had vocal surgery or vocal problems, and it was, he was almost raspy like Jack Klugman. But he did it. He was pretty good. I, you know, it was a good revival. I remember that. And so um, you know, kind of a, kind of glad that I did get to see um, Ben Gazzara once or twice on the stage. I missed him in that Japanese play flop called Shimada that they did in the early 90s. I don't think anybody saw that. Um, and, of course, if we want to remember him, we can go to the many movies that he made. Not all of them great. You know, he was always, he was one of those down-to-earth people who said, I'll work for a paycheck. And he just happened to be lucky enough in the 1970s to be aligned with John Cassavetes. And that will probably be the main of his best-known film legacy, the three films that he made with John Cassavetes. Um, and let's see. Oh, oh, I do have one personal Ben Gazzara story that has to do with the only time that I saw him not on a stage. It must have been about four or five years ago. And if, if you listen to this program, you'll know that I'm, well, I am an owner, my wife and I, of Dachshunds. We love the little dogs. And there's something so cute and cool about them. And when I was living in New York, there's this thing that they have twice a year down at Washington Square Park called the Dachshund Friendship Club Gathering. They do the, the Doctoberfest in October, and then they do the spring one. I, I forget what it's called. But all it is is people with Dachshunds bring them to Washington Square Park on a Saturday morning around 10 o'clock, 10.30, and they all mingle, and they look at each other's dogs and go, oh, and they put costumes on them if they want to, or they don't if they don't. And then at noon, usually, high noon, everybody gets together and sings the Dachshund song. There's no other dog like a doxy walking so close to the ground. I mean, it's fun. They've got an accordion, and they've got a megaphone, and then everybody's singing and holding their dogs up. It's silly, stupid, wonderful New York kind of stuff, and they do it twice a year. Well, I'm at um, one just a couple of years ago. Just I, I don't bring the dogs because we were living on Long Island. I, I would just go to see them, walk around for 20 minutes, sing the song, and then go off to the theater. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the docks, docks thing. I'm looking at all the cute little doggies, and suddenly somebody's walking through the main arch of Washington Square Park, and I'm like, wait, who is that old guy? He looks kind of familiar. And it turns out that it's Ben Gazzara, and his wife is, is there with him, too, and they're just taking a stroll. I don't recall if they brought a dog with them. I don't think so. I think they were just there to partake. I, I guess he lived in the village. He was kind of a New Yorker at heart, certainly throughout his career, even for all the stuff he did in Hollywood. So you know, that, that, just for that alone, I have a little, little spot, soft spot in my heart for the late Ben Gazzara, but also, and this is the weirdest, strangest thing, back in the mid-1990s, you know, I remember I was still writing a lot of parody songs and, and funny songs and weird songs and cute songs, which you know I still do for various reasons, and I, I out of nowhere, for no particular reason at all, I said to myself, you know, 
I haven't heard about Ben Gazzara in a very long time. Maybe, I, I don't know, I had seen somewhere one of the Cassavetes movies was listed something, or just, but years had gone by, and there hadn't been any mention, no movies that I'd heard of, he wasn't on Broadway, and I said, and I guess this was be- certainly before Wikipedia, where you could sort of just sort of check if someone was alive and see their IMDb database list. I said, oh, yeah, he did three films last year. I just never heard of them. No, this is before all that. So if you didn't see it in the newspaper or on TV, you didn't know about it. So I'm like, well, we, where, what about the Ben Gazzara? And I thought it would be kind of a cute, weirdly funny thing to write a song about it. Because I didn't know if he was alive or dead, honestly, at that point. So... I came up with the song called Ben Gazzara. Oh, how I miss Ben Gazzara. And if there were ever an appropriate day to play this particular song that I wrote all those years ago, this would be it. So in tribute to the late Mr. G, let us hear me with Ben Gazzara. Oh, how I miss Ben Gazzara. What an actor, what a talent, what a star. Why did he give up on the business? Is he hiding on an island or an isthmus? Will there be no studio release for Christmas? Oh, how I miss Ben Gazzara. What an actor, what a talent, what a star. You can't go so long without practice and still be one of the great method actors. That's why I miss Ben Gazzara. Although his script choices were terrible, he made Cassavetti's films bearable. Even Shimada was better than Nada. Oh, how I miss Ben Gazzara. What an actor, what a talent, what a star. I'd rather watch Killing of a Chinese Bookie than take a week off from work playing hooky. Eat a double fudge-covered graham cracker cream center chocolate chip cookie. Or have Dallas Cowgirl cheerleader baby oil Hershey syrup nookie. Oh, how I miss Ben Gazzara. What an actor, what a talent, what a star. Is he off in a room playing Pac-Man while his roles all go to Gene Hackman? Oh, how I miss Ben Gazzara. What an actor, what a talent, what a star. How I wonder, how I wonder where you are. Well... We know where Ben Gazzara is now. And wherever he is, I hope that he's, um, he's acting if he wants to act, resting if he wants to rest, and knowing that he gave a lot of enjoyment and pleasure to a lot of people watching his movies and the plays that he was in. It is 12.07 in the afternoon here at the University of Northern Colorado. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. You're listening to Dave's Gone By... It is time for our weekly segment, Bob Dylan, Sooner and Later. It's where we play a few Bob Dylan tunes, except we're going to be just a little bit different. They're Bob Dylan compositions, but in honor of the CD that just came out a week or two ago called Chimes of Freedom, which I don't have. I don't have a copy of it. I don't have any songs from it. But, you know, we've all been reading about it, that there's 80 different artists on there, 
all covering Bob Dylan songs. And I mean, the artist roster totally runs the gamut from, as I said, Yola Tengo to Miley Cyrus <laughs> and everything in between. Uh, I probably should have the, the whole list in front of me. But it made me think that, yes, I think of um, Bob Dylan and I play his music all the time, but I don't necessarily play as much as I ought to of the cover versions of his songs, the many different people who've done really wonderful or different or interesting interpretations of Bob Dylan songs. One of the uh, one of the really nice ones is on an old Judy Collins album called Who Knows Where the Time Goes. It's a slightly more slightly more upbeat well let's say brighter version of Poor Immigrant than Dylan did on the original. She's got kind of a nice, more tuneful take on it, even though it's still not a very happy song at all. But here, to begin our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment, this is Judy Collins with Poor Immigrant.
says your debutante just knows what you need, but I know what you really want.
folk of life most free from slavery With eyes that showed no trace of misery The phrase in connection first with she
I do not know Where she leads me, where she goes I can't find her nowhere Well, she needs me here
Dylan's I'm Not There, but we are here at the University of Northern Colorado for the last half hour of Dave's Gone By. I'm Dave Lefkowitz, so glad to have you with us on this Saturday morning, February 4th, 2012, for our 375th episode of the program. And as we do in virtually every show, we play a bunch of Bob Dylan songs in our Bob Dylan Sooner and Later segment. And as I said, this was all about cover versions, just uh, because... I put out that CD last week or two weeks ago called um, Chimes of Freedom with all these 80 different artists covering Bob Dylan tunes. And as I said, I don't have that CD. The songs I was playing are not from that. They're older songs of Dylan being covered throughout the years by other people. So we started that off. Let me get to our MySpace page to tell you. And if you want to find it too, it's myspace.com and then just search for Dave's Gone By, but we opened it with Judy Collins with Pity the Poor Immigrant. She took the I out of the title. Not sure why she did that, but it's Pity the Poor Immigrant from her really terrific Who Knows Where the Time Goes album, possibly her best, followed by Cat Power doing a version that's pretty much like the Bob Dylan version, only with horns, of Stuck Inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Then the birds with uh, You Ain't Going Nowhere, the birds, of course, helping Bob Dylan turn from a folk star into a rock star by their covering of his songs. Joan Baez with uh, one of my favorite all-time Dylan covers, especially since the only way to hear that song is her version. I, I don't remember if Columbia finally released Bob Dylan doing a version of Love is Just a Four-Letter Word. I think they there is one, but hers is the version that I grew up with, that, with that little sort of sitar-sounding slide guitar, love is just a four-letter word from any day now. Then Stephen Malkmus with Can't Leave Her Behind, one of those, ah, uh, a song that you only wish Dylan had spent another half hour on to finish. It's that beautiful scene, that amazing scene in Don't Look Back, where it's got to be like 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's just sitting in a dressing room with Robbie Robertson in dark shades, um, just picking at the guitar on a folk guitar, and Dylan almost seeming to make this song up off the top of his head. But it isn't, but they've obviously worked on it a little bit. And he doesn't have the lyrics really down, and he doesn't know where it's going, so you just get a verse or two of uh, Can't Leave Her Behind, but it's... uh, what What's there is so beautiful. And you get a little of that in Stephen Malkmus's version as well of Can't Leave Her Behind from the I'm Not There soundtrack album. And we heard the title track of that, Sonic Youth's version of Dylan's I'm Not There, another unfinished song, but at least that one is his yeah, a lot closer. I mean, the, the Dylan version is five minutes long, and the lyrics are all over the place and isn't quite finished, but at least you get the feeling, all right, it's kind of like um, She's Your Lover Now that was released about 20 years ago on one of the bootleg anthologies. The song isn't finished. Um, you know, it kind of stops before the last verse, but at least there's six minutes of, of magnificent treasure there that he did get down and, and tape and that we have and that we can enjoy. So, Bob Dylan, <clears throat> sooner and later on Dave's Gone By on this Saturday morning. Let me give you uh, a little check of the weather before we, we go off on another subject on another topic. going to check the old Yahoo page to let us know if it's gotten a little bit warmer. Seems 
just a tiny bit sunnier out than it did before. Certainly not snowing or flurrying, which is, I guess, the best news of all. Let's get to the old weather. Do 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 do. Sorry, the computer's being a little bit slow this early afternoon. But it's coming. I can see it. I can feel it. And currently, oh, wow, it's only 30 degrees in Greeley. Partly cloudy. Um, wind, how's the wind doing? Yeah, six miles per hour. You won't feel it. But still, maybe a little bit of a snow shower left. But it's going to be gone pretty much. Mostly cloudy for the day. High only hitting 32 or 30. 33 degrees, maybe. Tonight, partly mostly cloudy, going to get cold, low down to 9 degrees Fahrenheit. And then tomorrow, at least, aha, sunshine. But it won't be that warm. Only going to hit the mid-30s. Also, tomorrow night, cold again, 10 degrees. Monday, more sun, highs at least reaching the low 40s. So we're going to look to Mondays for that. And then Tuesday, sun and clouds, not quite as warm, but still getting some sunshine. Same as Wednesday, going to warm up a little bit again into the low 40s. So really, you've got to get through a pretty cold weekend with all that snow blowing around. And unfortunately, the snow that fell may be melting a little bit, but not as much as we hoped. And then, unfortunately, probably freezing over by, uh, by the time the sun goes down. So as I mentioned earlier, be careful driving. You know, it's not nice out there on those side streets. You've got to go real slow, and even on the main ones. I mean, right now it's kind of nice. There's, there's sunshine, there's, there's water, there's melting. As soon as that freezes over, you're going to get black ice that you're not even going to see. So for this whole weekend, do be careful when you're walking and driving out there in Greeley, Colorado. From whence comes this 375-numbered edition of Dave's Gone Bye. We have to, um, let's see, we've got about 20 minutes left. I'll probably want to talk a little bit about Facebook, but we want to bring the rabbi in because the rabbi is here every week with his rabbinical reflection. He's Rabbi Saul Solomon, who is the spiritual leader and founder of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. And the rabbi likes to come here and do sort of a weekly sermon, his thoughts on what's going on in the news, social issues, and religious issues, too. But sometimes he just likes to have a little bit of fun because, well, humor is important to him just as it's important to me. So it's time for a little Jewish jokes, ladies and gentlemen, a few Jewish jokes, and maybe a little lessons that were taught from them. So let us bring Rabbi Saul Solomon back into the neighborhood. And by the way, we still don't have the official, official news. But all my New York listeners, all my Long Island listeners, be aware that Rabbi Saul Solomon is doing his show, his one-man show, Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon. It's going to be at the Richmond Shepherd Theater uh, the second week of March. It's something like the 13th through the 17th at the Richmond Shepherd Theater on East 26th Street. I'll have the exact details by our next show. That I absolutely promise. But mark your calendar. They're mostly matinees. There's going to be a Wednesday night, and then Tuesday through Sunday, all the rest are going to be matinees down at the theater. So, yeah, you have one evening opportunity to catch it, or also if you have other shows or other things you want to do at night, and you can break away in the middle of the afternoon, come see Rabbi Saul at the Richmond Shepherd Theater, March 13th through the 17th. Check shalomdammit.com.
DaveGoneby.com for all the information. Also check DavesGoneby.com because we'll have it up there too. Get on Rabbi Saul's Twitter feed. It's Rabbi Saul Solomon. And get on Rabbi's Facebook page, which is just Saul Solomon. You have to go searching for him because believe it or not, there are other Saul Solomons out there. But only one is like the Rabbi Saul Solomon that we know and love and tolerate and he offers his rabbinical reflection of the week here in the neighborhood. Shalom, damn it! This is Rabbi Sal Solomon with a rabbinical reflection for the week of February 4th, 2012. Well, on Tuesday, Mr. Groundhog poked his tuchus outside the ground and declared that we're stuck with six more weeks of winter. A gloomy prediction, especially since three days later, Colorado got its first snowstorm in a month and a half. So, in order to brighten your damp and precipitative week, I thought I would share some jokes with you. Jokes of a Jewish nature. The first concerns Sadie, an old Jewish woman working for 50 years in the garment district in New York. One evening, she's coming home from work, she's on the subway, and a tall, rather strange-looking man in a long raincoat comes over and stands in front of her. Suddenly, he opens his coat and flashes her, showing her everything God gave him. Sadie looks and looks and looks, and finally, she sighs and says, You call this a lining? Now, what do we learn from this joke? We learn... Two things, both of them contradictory, which is par for the course with virtually everything Talmudic. First, we learn that concentrating and focusing on what you know best can sometimes protect you from harm. Sadie, zoning in on the raincoat instead of the man's puckle, might have spared her embarrassment or shock or even rape. And so, when we are at work and trying to finish a task... If we apply ourselves to that, instead of getting caught up in office politics and gossip and bad advice, we are more likely to complete the job in front of us. On the other hand, the joke also tells us there is something sad about Sadie. Here's an old woman, so beaten down by life and work, that she doesn't even notice a naked man poking his peeger at her pungum. We must not get so wrapped up in our daily burdens, or, for that matter, our hobbies and addictions, that we become oblivious to the wangs in front of our eyes. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then, I contradict myself. To quote Walt Whitman, I am large, I contain multitudes. I just wish I could contain my urine better, but that's my problem. On to another joke. This one about an old man. He's in the hospice, he's dying, and his 60-year-old wife is by his bedside. Rivka, he says, tell me the truth. In our 40 years of marriage, were you ever unfaithful? Rivka remains silent. Rivka, did you hear me? I asked if you've ever been with another man. Chaim, she says, I don't understand the question. Don't understand the question. Just tell me. I won't be mad. I'm dying. I would just like to know. During our marriage, did you ever stop another man? Again, Rivka says nothing. Rivki, Rivki, what's the problem? His wife looks at him and says, I'm worried. 
What if I tell you and you don't die? This is a charming little joke about sex and death, two things that obsess most Jews and gave Woody Allen a career. Perhaps we learn from this joke that we all have to answer for our actions at one point or another. If not today, maybe in a month. If not in a year, maybe in our final days. Maybe in Olam Haba. So, it's a caution that whenever we embark on doing something that maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't. Okay, last joke, perfect for the season. Little Yossi is a Russian immigrant, and he's sitting in grammar school trying to keep up in English. The teacher says, Class, it's vocabulary time. Can anyone here use the word cultivate in a sentence? Nobody raises a hand. Again, the teacher says, Come, somebody must know this word. Cultivate. Use it in a sentence. Anyone. After another minute, Yossi raises his hand. Great, Yossi, what's his sentence? Yossi says, Well, in the winter, when it's snowing and you're begging for the school bus, you should go indoors because it's too cultivate. I didn't say it was a good joke, I just said it was a joke. One could even say it's a kosher spin on that old line about the weather in Mexico. Chilly today and hot tamale. Also, it's a reminder that puns, although specific to a language and dialect, are universal in their power to trick us and make us go, Oy, I hate puns. And if we can all be brought a little closer together through our hatred and disgust, wouldn't that make the world a better place? This has been a rabbinical reflection from Rabbi Sal Solomon, Temple Sons of Bitches.
sublime I'm your broken, codependent valentine Yeah Very nice, amusing, and tuneful song there from Dave J., an old friend of this radio show. Dave J. Gersten is his full name, and he's uh, he's always doing these cool. Excuse me, sorry about that little burp there. Um, all these entertaining, somewhat novelty songs that are also kind of smart and quirky, and that's "Be My Codependent Valentine." From Dave J. Just released that, and you can find it on YouTube. And I thought I'd play that this week, specifically because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be here next Saturday. I know. Aw. I check out an awe sound effect. Probably it's somewhere on the computer somewhere. We have all these people going, aw. But no, I'm going to a conference in Denver with my good friends of the American Theater Critics Association and we're going to do a bunch of stuff at the Denver Center and have a lot of fun and, and see some play readings and some play stagings there. So I won't be around to do the next week of Dave's Gone By. However, oh boy, oh boy, mark your calendars because the February 18th episode of the show is going to be really, really special. It's going to have not only an interview with my beloved father, Philip Lefkowitz, who has been on the show many times and always enjoy talking to him. He's coming up on his 75th birthday. That's a big number, ladies and gentlemen. And um, it's just a couple of days after we'll air our February 18th episode. So, yeah, if you want to hear me bring my dad back on the show, be ready to listen to our next episode on February 18th. But... Not only is Dad going to be a special guest, we have Tony winner Alice Ripley is going to be in the neighborhood as well. Ripley's done a bunch of Broadway musicals and finally, finally got that, that bit of recognition when she appeared in Next to Normal two seasons ago and grabbed that Tony for Best Actress in a musical. And, you know, we've had actors, we've had performers before. I remember I was talking um, a couple of weeks ago when we had George Chakiris on the program. And I was so excited because he was our first Oscar winner ever to be on the show. And he won it for playing Bernardo in the movie version of West Side Story. And I started thinking, well, how many other winners of other things have we had? And we've had a couple of Tony winners. As a matter of fact, when we do our annual Tony Awards show, our celebration on Dave's Gone By, it's happened a couple of times that people who were nominated, we interviewed them, they were on the show, and then two, three days later, they won the Tony. So that happened with Bill T. Jones for Spring Awakening, and I think also Rondi Reed took one for, for when she was in August, Osage County. I mean, really, really cool stuff. And, and um, so here we will have another Tony Award winner, the wonderful Alice Ripley. She's also a rock musician in her spare time because you know, there aren't that many Broadway musicals these days. And you will have seen her in, let's see, the revival of Rocky Horror Show. And I thought she was in Sunset Boulevard, but I might be wrong about that. She was in that staged, somewhat staged reading Disney musical of King David. 
Lots of others. I've, I've, I've obviously got to go through her bio. But boy, oh boy, pretty exciting. And of course, Sideshow, where she appeared with Emily... Ooh, shame on me. Ooh, I have the duets album with her. Emily Skinner. So anyway, Alice Ripley, going to be in the neighborhood February 18th. Do not miss it. Uh, ooh, it's already 12.54 in the afternoon. See, I plan all these things even when I don't have guests. Even when I'm not spending 45 minutes talking to somebody else, I find things to play and do and run out of time. So I'm not going to get to talk about the whole controversy of the Susan G. Coleman and the Planned Parenthood. I'm really not in the mood to talk about it anyway. kind of wanted to talk about the whole Facebook thing. Um, maybe I can for, for two minutes. I, I just don't really quite get it. I don't. If, if we all know, Facebook is going to have a public offering in a couple of days. It's going to throw itself out to be a stock that everybody can own a piece of, and the price is skyrocket high. And people are like, ooh, Facebook, Facebook, everyone wants to be on Facebook. And I just, I mean, I appreciate Facebook. I use it. I wish it were a little more uh, useful to me. I mean, I still keep the MySpace page for this show, as you all know, just because it can blog on there. What the hell is Facebook waiting for to add a blog? That's all they need. They do a nice thing where you can do picture albums. That's wonderful. And you can send messages, and you can you know, see each other's photos, and I guess you can even chat if, if someone's on there. But you, if you want to just post writings or your diary or your blog, whatever it is, you can't do it, which is probably the only thing that's keeping MySpace going, uh, plus the fact that it's still kind of geared towards musicians. So, okay, Facebook, whatever it is, people gravitated towards it. Maybe it was the easiest one, the best-looking interface or homepage, and that's where people wanted to go. It started with college kids, and, you, and burgeoned and blossomed through that. And, of course, what made it a phenomenon was at a certain point, college kids said, okay, mom, dad, grandpa, rather than my having to call you all weekend or send you photos in the mail or email you this and that, why don't you just put, visit the page that I'm on, you can see my pictures, you'll see what I'm doing, you, you can keep tabs on me that way. And so all these moms and dads signed up, and then grandparents too. And what really made it explode is that this other two or three generations started to use it themselves. They said, hey, wait a minute, our kids in college can see what we're up to and the music that we're listening to. And we can, you know, send them messages and they can see our pages and what mom and dad are reading or what TV shows we're watching. Kind of cool. And then that exploded and I guess pulled Facebook far above what MySpace was doing and just as far as numbers, as far as how many people were actually using the service. However, wasn't it true that about a year or two ago, Facebook seemed to be on the way down? It, it peaked, and then people said, oh, it's the next best thing, but where can it go? And then they say, well, they're going to change the interface, and people won't like it as much, and you can't blog on it, and you add this and, and whatever. So it, it kind of shocks me when just a few months after that, Facebook is like the hottest thing since fire. <laughs> You know, and everybody wants a piece of it, and everybody wants to, to own a little bit of this stock. And one still wonders where the money is. Is it just advertising? That's you know Because it's still a free service, you know, one of the great things about it. One of the reasons everybody 
climbed onto it is that you don't have to pay a dime to use it. It's the thing that made YouTube, you know. So it's still free. I don't foresee. I hope that's not going to change. And maybe, again, people are saying, well, you know, Facebook has X bazillion readers and users, and then they can sell those lists to advertisers and target people for their likes, and that's how they're going to make their ultra, ultra millions. I don't know. To me, and I, I know nothing about finances and economics, but from my very limited and idiotic perspective, that, that price just seems crazy high. And I just can't see people getting in now and, and really making anything out of it. If anything, the one scary thing about the Internet that is still on some level the Wild West is, well, anybody can do another Facebook if you have the right programming. Anybody can do a website for a couple of hundred bucks, put it up there, buy the, the URL for 20 bucks a year, and as many people can see your website as they can Facebook. So there's, there's got to be someone around the corner who's going to build a better mousetrap, who's going to say, well, I can do what Facebook does, but add more. I can add the blog. I can add video. I can make it even easier to stay in touch and instant message and, and mail people and have really cool slideshow, whatever it is. Is that only six months away? Is it two years away? And then <laughs> it'll be like America Online. Millions and millions of people. America Online did what it did and then didn't quite keep up and didn't bother or just didn't know what to do. And now it's a real also-ran. It's barely around still, you know? And if people stay with it, it's because of brand loyalty, and they're used to it for so many years, which will happen with Facebook. But I just really, really wonder what the – you know, it's not like a car. Uh, if they make a good car and it runs and you, you sell it right, well, hopefully, unless you're the Iacocca, you don't have to ask the government for money. You can sell cars, and you can buy stock in it because, you know, that's what the company does. And, and people can make other kinds of cars and try and take your market – but if you build up a loyal customer base, you'll keep them. I don't know. I don't know. I, we have It's 1 o'clock here already, so I don't even have time to, to go into it more or take a phone call. If you want to try calling, it's 970-351-1256 while I'm closing up the shop here on this episode of the show. 351-1256 to give your thoughts about Facebook and the, the IPO that's going to be happening. While I'm waiting for any calls that might come in, or uh, if listeners are already tuning out to start their day, but I do want to do the friends of the neighborhood, which are um, anybody who's been on the show at some point is a friend of Dave's Gone By. We're grateful for them being here, and we keep tabs on them because it's like family. So I want to let you know that Richmond Shepherd will be directing or is directing Oswald at Right Act Repertory in Hollywood, California. Got really good reviews. They're, they're trying to get some, some of the more major papers to review it. But Backstage West gave it pretty close to a rave. And so congratulations to Richmond. He's been on our, been on our Tony shows. He's been on a few episodes. And, of course, he is also the owner of the theater where Rabbi Saul Solomon's show is going to be going in the middle of March, the Richmond Shepherd Theater in New York. So Richmond has his own show. He's directing Oswald in California. Go see it. And he's also trying to bring that to New York in a commercial production, either Broadway or off-Broadway. So I certainly wish him the best 
with that. Letting you know that Jeremy Schoenfeld, who was here in 2008, he's doing a show at Joe's Pub on February 6th. That's just two days away. Also on February 6th, Alison Frazier, Cesar Samoya, and Jason Grah. He's been a guest a couple of times in the neighborhood. He's going to be in Amazing Sex. <laughs> yes, that's the name of the show, people. It's at Birdland. It's a new musical by Barry Harmon and Keith Herman, the guys who gave us Romance Romance. So check it out, February 6th, the reading, or, or I guess staged performance of Amazing Sex, featuring Jason Grah on, I guess that's Tuesday. Let's see, today's the 4th. No, Monday. Monday night. Also, February 12th, coming up, Gary Lucas will be performing with Gary Marcus at the Cornelia Street Cafe in downtown New York. And, uh, ooh, you know, Jim Caruso's cast party plays Monday nights at Birdland, but you should also know that he's doing a best of Jim Caruso's cast party on February 23rd, my father's birthday, at Town Hall. It's a benefit for the Actors Fund, and so... Definitely, if you haven't been to Birdland to see Jim Caruso's, it's kind of a mix between open mic and also celebrities and and well-known cabaret and Broadway people coming up there and doing a song or two. Jim Caruso's cast party every Monday night at Birdland and then the special one at Town Hall on February 23rd. want to remind everyone that Carrie Hoffman is in My Sinatra. He's been doing that for a couple of years now. It just recently moved to Sophia's on West 46th Street, so check it out there. Christine Petty, who was a guest here in 2007, she's in two off-Broadway musicals right now, Musical and Miss Abigail's Guide to Dating, Mating, and Marriage. That's also at Sophia's on West 46th Street. Everybody subscribe to drdemento.com, and everybody visit... um, Alan Scherstuhl's weekly column in the San Francisco Weekly, Studies in Crap. Well, it just remains also for me to wish my good and oldest friend, Ozer Teitelbaum, a very happy birthday. He's got that coming up tomorrow. And it was great to have Ozer as a guest on my birthday show just two weeks ago to go through old times. And so happy birthday, Mr. Ozer, and many, many, many more. Well... It is 104 in the afternoon here in Greeley, Colorado. You've been listening to Dave's Gone By on uncradio.com, the radio station of the University of Northern Colorado. Dave's Gone By. If you want to uh, send me an email with your thoughts on this program or some of the others that we've done or suggestions for future episodes, send it to Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y at AOL.com, to hear this episode of the show once it's archived and dozens and dozens of previous episodes of the show absolutely free, visit our website, davesgoneby.com. You just go to a particular episode. They're listed both alphabetically by name of the guest who has appeared or, if you scroll down below that, chronologically of every show we've ever done. And then you click on the link. If you left-click, you can stream it on your computer. If you right-click, you can download it to your hard drive or iPod. Bunches and bunches of shows, tons of famous people and not-so-famous people who've appeared on Dave's Gone By over the years. Give a listen to the archives. I think you will 
have a great time. Visit ShalomDammit.com for the rabbi's blog. Check out his clips on YouTube. And as I said, get ready, all you New Yorkers, because he's hitting the town March 13th through the 17th doing his one-man show, Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon at the Richmond Shepherd Theater. I'll put more information on the website and also... We'll definitely have more to tell you next time we're in the neighborhood. As I said, we're not going to be here next Saturday, but we will be here on February 18th to celebrate my father's birthday. Yay, Mazel Tov. My dad turns 75, so we'll be talking with him. And also, Tony-winning actress, Alice Ripley. All of that. Plus, Rabbi Saul Solomon, of course. Our Saturday segues, our Inside Broadway segment and more when we return on February 18th, Saturday, 10 until 1 in the afternoon on Dave's Gone By. Just remains for me to say, drive carefully, enjoy the snow. Those of you who have been waiting for it, well, it came. It's here. It conquered. <laughs> and uh, so drive well, enjoy the winter, and gone by. First, drink the clear, clean water for to quench my thirst. And I will watch the ferry boats, and they'll get high against the blue ocean, against the morrow sky. And I will walk and talk in gardens all. Sweet thing.